Father, we thank you for the privilege of your word. We thank you because it's your word that changes us. Your word is greater than any imagination of man. Your word is greater than the wisdom of men, O God. We submit ourselves as your children, O God. We yield ourselves to the correction of your word, to the instruction of your word. And we ask, O God, that you cause your word to transform our lives and make us to be the persons that you designed us to be. In Jesus' matchless name we pray. We're going to just look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and just go through it verse by verse. It's not often that I like to teach like this, but this is how I felt it. You know, but I want to give you a bit of background. Um, the Corinthian church was one of those churches that, you know, it was like every parent has a, a kind of special child that you love, but that, that child that you love is the one that also gives you the most trouble. In my family, I was that child. <laughs> so the epistles of the Corinthians I can somehow identify with it it was a church that Paul made so many sacrifices for, Paul said look as an apostle I have a right to collect money from you, how many know that? yeah, in the midst of all the things we are hearing today, see we need to go back to the foundations, because if you are not grounded in the foundation, there are many new new things that you keep hearing, that you be like ah, today is here, tomorrow is here then you start getting spiritually dizzy and then you say I'm not doing it again do you understand? But there are some foundational things that you must grab it. This is, I found out that a lot of preachers, and you know, internet has made it so hard for pastors in the sense that even if you have the best of intentions to teach the people that God has given to you to bring them up in the fear and admonition of the Lord, there can be one 19-year-old rascal on Facebook that would just, maybe he just, and you know, he can download Greek and Hebrew lexicon from the internet, and he just read one thing, and he types it, and you people will read it. Do you understand? And people have all sorts of ideas these days. Okay? So but when you come to know the truth of the gospel for yourself, because there are people that believe that the only way they can be relevant as preachers is to always come up with new things. Okay? So even if the new thing makes no sense, they force it in. I was listening to someone recently, and the person said that when Jesus said in the gospels, that my yoke is easy and my burden is light. That that light that Jesus said actually was not light in terms of not having enough weight, but light in terms of illumination. So the burden of Christ is, is brightness into you. Like, what? <laughs> Do you understand? So we read, especially our young people, the university people, because there's a pressure on you to sound like New Rema. No. If you read the epistles, you see Peter saying so many things about that we taught to repeat these same things, the things you already know. Okay? You must not be tired of hearing it, especially as we see the day drawing near. So, the, the Corinthian church was a church that gave Paul a lot of issues. Paul gave a, sacrificed a lot for them. He had a right to collect from them, but he chose not to, just so that his ministry to them could be, you know, praiseworthy. I mean, the first episode to the Corinthians was what you call a polemic, a, a kind of book that decides to look at errors, if I put it that way, errors in the church, and decided to correct it. From chapter 3, started talking about how the Corinthian church, they had become a partisan church, and for Peter, and for, and for this, and Paul started to correct that. Then you see in 
maybe like chapter 7, you can talk about marriage because they had written to him to talk about marriage. I'm going to talk to him about marriage, about how marriage, divorce, remarriage, those sort of things. In chapter 8, they had written to him about eating food, sacrifice to idols. He talked to them about that. Chapter 11, we're going to talk about communion, okay, and order in the church. Chapter 15, and we'll talk, we'll come to chapter 15. He now dealt with the issue of life after death or life after this life, okay? That some people had begun to preach in that church that there was no resurrection from the dead. And Paul said, if there's no resurrection from the dead, man, we might as well just reflect it, okay, and forget about all these things. So it's after he had written that, some other things now began to happen. Some new apostles came on the scene and began to, you know, demonstrate in certain ways I began to make the Corinthians feel as if Paul didn't have any power. Paul was not a real apostle. Right? Because this other guy, see, the, see what they are demonstrating. So Paul had to write them again to remind them of who he was. Okay, so tell them know that, look, the things that I'm doing, I'm doing it for a particular reason. Now, it would be good for us to go back to chapter 4. I'll be very, very brief, honestly, because my, my thoughts are very, very in, in a particular direction. If you look at chapter 4, right, from chapter 4, toward the end of chapter 4, we get the verse from verse 18 or 17 where we see, for our light affliction, remember that verse, right? Which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. So it's from there See, because when the epistles were written, they were written as one letter, okay? So it's translators that began to put chapter and verse to make it easier to read. So if we hold the same thought, okay, that thought is, for we do not look at the things which are what? Seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Then we now move to, it says, for we know. So that for links what is about to say to the previous thing. The reason why we do not look at the things which are visible, okay, and the reason why we look at the things which are invisible is because of a certain kind of knowledge. And you see, it's important that we have or come to embrace certain kinds of knowledge as believers, okay? Many times, you can have something and yet not fully embrace it. You can say you believe in something and yet not fully understand the ramifications of what that belief in is. So let, I, I'm an example of a guy who bought a car and, you know, he, he bought a car, took a loan from work, bought a car, and he drove the car to work. And then when he got to the office that first day, normally he would go to work with the staff boss and come back with the staff boss. So he got to work, parked his car in the office car park, did his business by five, it was time for him to go home, and then he joined the staff boss. So the people now said to him, Mr. Collins, ah, oh man, we thought you bought it. Said, ah, it's true. So he had to, this is a real life story, I'm telling you. So he had to come down from the staff boss and go and get his car. In objective reality, had he bought a car? Yes. In his subconscious, inside of him, had he come to the full realization that he now had a car? No. Do you understand? So there are many things that we say we believe that life then helps us to see whether the things we say we believe, we really believe them. 
That, that's one of the purposes of trials. So when Paul was writing in chapter 4, and he was saying that, for we do not look at the things which are seen. He says, for these light afflictions, okay, are working for us a, an exceeding weight of glory. Now, let me tell you how many of us, including me, normally would read that. This is how we read it. This light afflictions, this is my present situation. It is working for me a future time. But that future time is when? It's still in this life. Do you understand? So maybe today, I'm going through a tough situation on the job. But in our minds, what that scripture is saying is that, worst case, before the end of this year, you know how churches have special programs? September to remember. Um, <laughs> 11th hour miracle. They'll do it on that December 31st. You know, say, there's nothing that God has given to you. It must not enter the new year. Everything the Lord has for you, we are possessing it for now. It must not cross over. Okay? So in your mind, when you read that, your interpretation is that there comes a time still in this life where these things would what? Would change. And to an extent, it's true. But you see, within the configuration of your theology and of your mindset, you must have a possibility. There are some things that you will sow. There are some things that you will go through in this life that you, it would, if it is left to this life alone, it will never make sense. So you must include in your expectation the reality of the next life. You understand what I'm saying? That's what could make those three Hebrew boys say, look, we know that God will deliver. But in case he doesn't deliver, we will still not bow. Why? Because they reckoned with the reality of another life. Do you understand what I'm saying? So many times, when I look at the desperation of the average believer in terms of how we are engaging God, our engagement of God is based on this life alone. So that when you are praying for somebody who is sick, and of course we know that God wants to heal the sick, right? But assuming that that person does not get well, okay, do you have enough space in your worldview, to know that, that it hasn't ended for that person. Assuming that you were told that you are going to, I don't know what I would say, you will make it. It's a prophecy. I see you making it this year. And you don't make it this year or the next 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 on the next, 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 next. Okay? Do you have enough space in your theology to not feel as if God has robbed you because there is another life coming. So if we cut off the possibility of that other life, okay, there's this, this, the kind of desperation that we see in the average believer that makes him not different from the desperation in the unbeliever, okay, becomes a reality. Do you understand what I'm saying? So with that in mind, let's go verse by verse or very fast. This for we know that if our earthly house, don't forget that this four is linking chapter four, right? It's giving, telling you why they have hope in spite of the pressures they are going through. It says, for we know, this is not guesswork, it's something that, that, means, that, is, that sits in their heart as reality. For we know that if our earthly house, this physical body of this tabernacle were dissolved, we have a building of God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. Give me the next verse. It says, for in this, that's in this flesh, in this body that you are in, this one that you have made the center of your life, 
When you look at, let's talk about the young ladies now. When you look at your budget, 45% of it is given to make up and make down. Okay? Like, they say this body is ending here. Do you understand what I'm saying? It's ending what? Here. It says, in this we groan, earnestly desiring to be clothed with our habitation, which is from heaven. The next verse. It says, if indeed, having been clothed, we should not be found naked. Verse 4, it says, for that we are in this tabernacle, for we that are in this tabernacle do groan, being burdened, not for that we should be unclothed, but clothed upon that mortality might be swallowed up of life. Let me just try and do an explanation of these first four verses. Paul begins to say that, there's this, that the reason why they can have a confidence in spite of the pressures, why he could say, for we do not look at the things that are seen, but the things that are unseen. The, there's something driving that confidence. See, anything you are doing today, you may not know it, but there's a worldview that you have subscribed to. It may be conscious or unconscious, but there's a worldview that you have what? Subscribed to. Okay? So, he says that we know, we know. It is, this is not just us roaming in the dark. We have come to a full knowledge of reality that even if the pressures of this life make our earthly body to be destroyed, okay, we already know that we have another body that is waiting for us in the heavens. And so because of that knowledge, it's affecting how we behave. Because of that knowledge, it's affecting our priorities. That knowledge is affecting the places that we are investing our time and investing our energies. Friends, there is another life apart from this one. And if you compare the number of years that we live here compared to that other one that has no end, it's like rubbish. Do you understand? It's nothing. It's what? It's nothing. It says, for we know, we know that even if this earthly body, now, you see, verse 2, it says, for in this we groan. And I become to say to myself that if we are honest, that we is like it's only Paul and Barnabas. Because many of us, we are not groaning for anything. If anything, we are groaning for this life. That God settled me here. Because we are not sure what is going to happen there. No, because it's true. The way we pray, the priorities of our life, unknown to you, unknown to you, is built upon a foundation of ideologies and thoughts. Okay? Such that if you examine your life, and I examined my life through the scriptures last night, and I began to pray to God and say, God, Help me to get to this point. Because I had to be honest with myself. I said, God, I'm not groaning. No. This guy said, you know what it means to groan? It's like, that is their burning desire. That each time they wake up, it was almost as if Paul is saying, ah, I'm in this body, but I know that there's, one, there's a better place for me. Okay, he wasn't clinging to this life the way we cling to this life. As though it starts and ends here. When you read Philippians chapter 1, you see a certain struggle that Paul had. And you can see that the reason why he had a struggle was because of where he had built his mind. Give me Philippians 1 verse 20. It says, according to... Well, let's start from verse 19 so we can see the link very well. It says, for I know that this will turn out for my deliverance. He was going through a time of squeezing as many of us are right now. Through your prayer and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. Okay? Verse 20 now. 
The Lord says, according to my earnest expectation and hope, that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but with all boldness, as always, so now also, Christ will be magnified in my body. How? Whether by what? Life or what? This, this is part of it. It's not for me. Only life. But you see, the Bible says something in Ecclesiastes. So there is a time for everything. There is a time to be born, and there is a time to what? To die. When I say you will die, it's not his way, it's reality. You understand? No, no, it's true. Okay, but you will die. <laughs> I don't say, it's not my portion. But you see, it's foolishness to run away from something that you cannot run away from. It is reality that one day, you will die. <laughs> it's true. And embracing this, okay, is the key to your progress. Oh. Embracing it that you will not be here forever. You will not be. See, these are the foundations of the Christian faith. And me, I told myself, I said, between now and the end of this year, I'm going, I'm re-examining my foundations. Because there are so many things that you can believe within the context of the Christian faith. But if you leave the primary things, okay, the house you are building, it can't last. Do you understand what I'm saying? So Paul says that, so whether I live or I die, my aim is that Christ will be magnified. Give me the next verse. He says, for to me, to me, 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 me. Because he knew that some of us, <laughs> this is not your reality. Say, for to me, to live is Christ. As long as I'm in this flesh, Paul is saying that my aim, my life, my everything is Christ. That's how we sang that song. You are my everything. You are my destiny. As long as I'm here to live is Christ. He says, and to die is gain. Now, some Christians say that to die will help me to gain more of him. Do you understand what I'm saying? What I'm saying, don't worry, I know it's not exciting you. When I read it yesterday, it didn't excite me. Okay, but he made me to pray. And say, God, help me because I've lost focus. Okay? He says, my true life is the anointed one. That's the Christ. And dying, ah, bros. And dying means what? Gaining more of him. Gaining more of him. So, what, where did we get this fear of death from? When, when you read the likes of Paul, when Paul writes in 2 Timothy chapter 4, when he begins to say that I have fought a good fight, I have finished my course, I have kept the faith. Okay, but before that verse, it says that now is the time for me to depart. The time of my departure is at hand. He didn't say it as somebody who was afraid to die. He said it as somebody who had lived and then he had this confident knowledge of what was coming. Okay? And he said, now is my time is ready. But today, especially in Pentecostal Christianity, we say, it's your time to go. Say, no, we're here forever. And this fear of death, okay, is beginning to generate some new theologies. People say that we're going to be here. It's true that we're going to go to heaven and come back here. Because this is where we are, this is where it's going to end. But not this particular earth. Do you understand? The Bible says that I saw a new earth descend out of the heavens. Okay? Let's go back to Paul. He said there's a groaning, there's a strong desire, verse 2, tell me just 5, that we should be clothed upon with our house from heaven. And then he says that the person that has done this thing in us 
is God, who has also given us, verse 5, I'm in verse 5 now, who has also given us the guarantee of the Spirit. Now, what does Paul mean by that? He's saying that, look, that this desire for heaven, this desire, not really for heaven per se, but this desire to be with the Christ, okay, it was put in us by God. Paul is saying that it's not that we are just tired of life. Oh. Don't get it wrong. It's not our aim for living. It's not be, of, when I say living, that's from, from wanting to depart from the earth. It's not because we have gotten tired of this life. It's more because we have a longing to be with him. You know, there's some of us that anytime it's around Scoofy's period, you start wishing that Jesus should come. That God, Jesus, why, what is the purpose of this life? Let Jesus just come. Let's all go to heaven. Really? It's because it's time to pay school fees. Once God helps you and you pay, say, yes, let's go. Let's keep your in the life. Okay? That's not what Paul is saying. Paul is not saying that they gave him one bill. House rent time. I say, oh, Jesus, I know if we are in heaven now, no need for house rent. No, that's not the point. Paul is saying that I have been in such communion with the Holy Ghost. That based on my enjoyment of the spirit, even in this limited flesh, I can only imagine what it will look like when I'm permanently in the presence of Jesus. He says in that verse 5, that he who has prepared for us this very thing is God, who has also given us the spirit as a guarantee. What does that mean? The spirit as a guarantee, the spirit as a down payment of what is to come. So the reason why we do not have, many of us do not have this intense desire that we see in Paul is because if you are not enjoying the down payment, you don't know what the real thing looks like. Do you know what I'm saying? The down payment, heaven. See, the Bible says that the Holy Ghost was sent from where? From heaven. He came here. So when you are living on earth and you are not fellowshipping with him, you are not enjoying the pleasures of the spirit, of his presence, as it is here. The Bible says that in his presence, there is what? Fullness of joy. And at his right hand, there are pleasures forevermore. There is a pleasure from fellowshipping with the Holy Ghost. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 14, in the message, it says, and the intimate friendship of the spirit. So the Holy Ghost has been given to you and to me to give us an idea of what heaven feels like. So the reason why we are not longing, this desire that we see in Paul, right? It is not our current reality. One reason is because we are not yet enjoying friendship with the Spirit of God. When you begin to enjoy friendship with the Holy Ghost, the more you enjoy the friendship, the more the Holy Ghost takes you on journeys in the realm of the Spirit. And then you see that you have to come back. Ah! I say, I wish this would be my lot forever. I wish... I will just be with him forever. I don't have to go through the limitations of this flesh. Have you ever fellowship with the Holy Spirit to the point where your body, this is your physical body, begins to burn with fire? Has that happened to anybody here before? It happens to me sometimes where I have to beg him and say, sir, please, drop the temperature. Because, let me tell you the truth, this is your physical body. It's because of the fallen nature it can no longer host in the fullest capacity the presence of God. Do you understand? So, you see, the only reason why Paul can say things like this is because when he communes with the Holy Ghost and begins to enjoy that fellowship, and then he begins to see that this, his flesh, can no longer withstand the awe of that glory. Ah, this flesh, I wish it would go. 
This is the same flesh that you are investing 400k to buy Brazilian this thing. Paul's own is that he's seeing the flesh as a disturbance. The way some people are looking at each other, it's like, <laughs> it's like, <laughs> it's like, he's seeing this thing as a disturbance. He's seeing it as a problem. That it is standing in the way of enjoyment of God. So the reason why you are not sounding like Paul yet is because you are so focused on the enjoyment of this life. You are so focused on the enjoyment of this life. I mean, it was C.S. Lewis that said that our minds need to be trained to enjoy the joys of heaven. Okay? You need to be trained. It will not come to you naturally. Okay? But Paul is saying, look, that as far as I'm concerned, this my flesh, this body, is getting in the way. But it, it now says in verse 6, it says, therefore, we are always confident, knowing that while we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord. For we walk by faith and not by sin. He said, we are confident, I say, and willing rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. Paul is saying, if you give me a choice today to choose between staying here and going without thinking twice, I'm gone. If you look at it in Philippians 1.22, Paul says that the reason why he's here when he wrote to that, he said he was here because let, let's go there. Philippians 1:22 says he said he chose to be there because of the Philippians, because of the church, because he wanted to impart something in them. He said, But if I live on in the flesh, this will mean fruit for my labor. Yes, what I shall choose, I cannot tell. The next verse. Say, for I am a hard pressed. That is, some of us, this is not a problem for you. Do you understand? There are advanced problems. You know, there are some problems that for some people, their problem is God. Will I see food to eat this afternoon? So the problem is God. Out of this plenty food, now which one will I eat? You understand? So even within the realms of problems, there are, there's rank. There are levels. Now, so Paul is saying here that, see, my own problem, your own problem is God. The latest cream I need to buy. I, I need it. God is 25K. Maybe that's even cheap. 200,000. Jesus, if you don't give me money for this cream, I will backslide. That's, that's the content of your engagement. Say, God, I need to go on holiday every year. If I cannot go this year, that means you are no more faithful to me. If you are no more, I will backslide. Look at Paul's issue. See, I am hard-pressed between the two. Should I go? Should I stay? Should I go? Should I stay? That was, that was Paul's headache. Do you understand? He had left these base things for those people that didn't come to church today. All of us that came, we are like Paul here. Okay? See, for I am hard-pressed between the two, having a desire to depart. See, the reason why he wanted to go, it wasn't just because heaven was a better place. It was because of Christ. Christ. That's the main... See, Christ is the main thing in the gospel, in the, gospel, in the kingdom. It's the main thing. All the other things that we told you, it was to bring you in. Do you understand? It was to bring you in. When we told you, if you come to Jesus, he will heal you. Healing is not the main thing in the gospel. It was to bring you in. When we told you, if you come to Jesus, you'll know our problems. That's why that one will lie to you. Okay? Because you still have problems. Okay? But it says that I, my desire is to be with Christ. I wish that this kind of desire would be restored into this church. This, this is the true Christianity. See, I know that the poverty of Nigeria has made it almost impossible to preach Christianity without giving, positioning it as a tool 
to make it. Do you understand? But see, if, if, you, enter, if you enter countries where they are no more grappling with the basics of life, many Nigerian pastors can't function there. Because you see, you're promising them. <laughs> they're, they're very happy. So like, this is what your Jesus can do. Okay, well, I've moved on. But he says, I, am, I have a desire to depart. He says, to be with Christ, which is what? Far better. Far. Far better. Give me the next verse. He says, nevertheless, to remain in the flesh. So, if you look at the emotions of the thing, it was like, it's far better. Nevertheless, to remain in the flesh. I mean, for your sake, let me just stay here. But you can see where his heart is. The only reason why you can sound like this is that you are already enjoying Christ now. Do you know what I'm saying? If you're not enjoying him, there's nothing. It's like a man gets married and immediately he gets married, he's transferred and his wife cannot go with him. Okay? So maybe he's transferred to Singapore and he's here. And the wife is here. The more he skypes her and does Zoom with her, okay, the more a desire to finally be with her would arise. But the moment he gets to Singapore and begins to see the Singaporean girls there, even though they may not be as fine as our African women. No, let's not go there. Okay. <laughs> but the moment he gets there and in five weeks he has not Skyped Madame. All he does is she just calls school fees. Okay, I'll send it. Bye, go. Uh, you didn't tell me you love but I told you I love you six weeks ago. Just record my voice and be listening to it. It's the same thing. I wrote it in a letter for you. Okay, just, just rereading the letter. I've told you already. Okay, play the wedding video. Remember the vows and leave me alone. The more he pulls away from the enjoyment of how we did the limited scope, okay, very soon that man will not come back again. <laughs> no, no, it's, it's true. He won't come back again because... He has lost the desire for love. He doesn't know what it feels like anymore. Do you understand? He doesn't know what it feels like anymore. So when you are not currently in this life, even within the limited scope that this life affords you and me to enjoy Jesus, okay? You can't sound like this. You can't sound like this. Give me the next verse, verse 25. It says, being confident of this, I know that I shall remain and continue with you all for your progress. But if it depended on Paul, he had gone. Let's go back to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. He says, for we are confident and willing rather to be absent from this body and to be present with the Lord. Now verse 9. 2 Corinthians 5 verse 9. It says, wherefore, and look at it, it says, we make it our what? To be billionaires in this life. That's what it says. To ensure that we live in Banana Island no matter what happens. No. Those are not the main things. Unfortunately, Nigerian Christianity has made it to look like the main thing. Not just Nigerians here. Generally. It's like, we cannot inspire you to love Jesus if we don't add something from this earth to it. Do you understand? If we just tell you, come, my brother, come for a prayer meeting. Let's just spend two hours to fellowship with the Holy Ghost. And I say, and then... I say, and then he will speak to us and we'll just love him. I say, and then? Because if we don't add September to remember, if we don't put it in those terms, 
if we don't either make it that you are killing an enemy or that you are making it, okay, it holds no attraction to us again. And yet, this Jesus is the main personality in Christianity. Bible says that even God the Father, he said he has submitted everything to him, to judgment. It's everything concerning the whole thing. God has given it to Christ. Jesus is, is, the main, is the main personality. There are many things in the kingdom. There are many things. But Jesus is the main thing. He's supposed to be our chiefest desire. Do, do you understand that? So he says that we make it our aim. Another person says that we strive. This is what is fueling our lives. Okay? That whether we are present, whether we are in this body or in the next life, our aim is to be what? To be well-pleasing to him. You know, there's a, there's a dimension you get to in this walk with God where if you are making progress, nothing external becomes a yardstick for your walk with God. So that you can say like, oh, I have learned. If I have much, I'm good. I know how to enjoy life. But what's that? But, and if I have little, I also know how to enjoy life. Because for me, that life is who? is Christ. So that there's nothing outside of me that is making me feel more or less at home with Christ. Some of us can only align with Christ when, as we say in Benny, when hand touch you. Do you understand? When hand meets you. Some people, if all your prayers are answered, you become a nuisance to God and to Christianity. Do you understand? You just do what you like. Nobody can talk to you again. Nobody can see you in church again. You, are, you have become a law to yourself. So the, the heavens have to introduce some distance to your life to keep you. See, Paul said, so that I may not be proud. There, they introduced something. Say, a messenger of Satan was given to me to buffet me and to keep me in check. Some of you, this, the reason why your financial status, if there's any word like that, cannot go beyond a certain level. It's because God is trying to save your soul. Because he knows that if you go any higher than this, you become an international and global nuisance. <laughs> to yourself, to the body, and to heaven. So you just say, send him home, send him home. Do you understand? So to avoid that, each time you are trying, say, I must go beyond this one million naira limit. As you enter 1.1, 1. 1, bring him back. <laughs> <laughs> because you know that your capacity for now is that once you cross it, uh, you can't listen to anybody again. You become a wild ass. Nobody can tame you. Do you understand? So, it says we make it our aim that whether we are present or absent, we are well pleasing to Him. Is this how we live our lives today? Are we focused on pleasing Jesus, the one that died for you? The one that gave his life for you. The one that left the beauty, the joys of heaven and came to this earth to become limited in scope and operations. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the one that made the whole earth, because of you, he allowed himself to go through the pain of hunger. But Jesus Christ, the Son of God, because of you, he allowed himself to go through the limitations of time and space. He didn't need to do it, but he did it for us. And so Paul is saying that we have to please him. But you look at the next verse. It says for. Anytime you see for in scripture like this, you can remove that for and put what? Because. Okay? So read it again with because. 
Okay, go back to verse 9, please. It says, therefore, we make it our aim, whether present or absent, to be well-pleasing to him. Next verse. For or because. The reason why this is our aim is because we know that we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. That each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether what? Good or bad. He says, the reason why we make it our aim to please him is because we know that one day, either through death or through rapture, we will come face to face with this Jesus. On that day, he will not be savior. He will be what? He will be judge. And the we he's talking about here is not seen as well. This is what? Christians. He will be judging us. This is not judgment of whether you receive Christ. You already received Christ. You're already in. Okay? But this is judgment of rewards. Rewards. This, this one is not by grace. This one is by what? Rewards. Do you understand? Rewards. Say, say that. Say rewards. rewards. Say that again. Rewards. rewards. What does reward mean? This one is that in the economy of grace, it is all about what Jesus did. Yeah? In the economy of reward, in the economy of grace, what Jesus did is what will get you in to the gate. Let me speak in that terminology. But when you enter the gate, where you go, let me speak naturally. Whether you enter the BQ, whether you stay in the security post, you know that in an estate, there are many places to stay. Do you understand? Some people are staying in the security post. How do you know that? There are some people that are staying in BQ. They are all staying in maybe Banana Island. Let's use that as an example. But there's not everything. Some people, the banana is ripe. Some of the banana is not ripe. Do you understand what I'm saying? But it's the same banana. Do you get what I mean? Okay? So, he's saying that, now when you get here, once you have entered, your destination within the scope of this thing, this one is not by grace again. This one is of what? Reward. It's the things that you have done. So, Paul is saying that, the reason why we are living like this, the reason why it looks as if when we are under pressure, right, we can bear it. It's not just because we know that maybe next year things will change. It's possible. But even if things don't change next year, our eyes fixed on the reality that there's another life that is coming. And that this life, compared to the other life, the Bible says that this life is what? A vapor. You know how you are boiling water and you close your eyes and open it? That vapor is gone. You can't see it again. That particular one is gone. If you see another one, it's a new one. Do you, do you understand it? So this life compared to that other life is a vapor. It's a vapor. It's a vapor. So, when we are investing our lives as though it will all end here, we are not living with wisdom. Paul says, the reason why you see me go through the things I go through with so much grace is because I'm not living for here. I'm living for the world to come. I'm so conscious of that reality. I'm so conscious that a day is coming that I will stand before him and he will ask me questions. I gave you wealth. What did you do with it? I gave you beauty. What did you do with it? I gave you gifts. What did you do with it? Okay? He will ask you. He will ask you. Paul is saying that I'm, everything I'm doing is with that consciousness in mind. I'm conscious of it. So that, see, if the world was going to end, if somebody told you that the way you live between, what time is it? This is 
12, 19. The way you live between 12, 19 today and 12, 19 tomorrow, what you do within this 24-hour period will affect the next 1,000 years of your life. As you are walking and I mistakenly step on you, would you spend good minutes of that time? You see that, remove your shoe and say, Oga, you know the steward. Or will you focus on investing in the things that would help you live that life? The next 1,000 years. That is what you are doing within a 24-hour period will determine how you spend the next 1,000 years. Do you understand? But comparing this life to that life is even long. It's not even comparable. Do you understand what I'm saying? It's not even comparable. It's not comparable. So he says that Paul is saying that he's conscious that we all, every one of us, father, mother, pastor, pastor, prophet, propheted, apostle, apostled, everybody, we will appear. We will give account. The things that we are doing, he will ask you. He will ask you. This is reality. Do you understand that? He says, verse 11, and I want to bring it to a close now. He says, knowing therefore the terror of God. Knowing therefore the what? The terror. He said, are you telling me that God is a terrorist? Yes. Yes. There's a kind of gospel these days that wants to paint God to look like your boyfriend. He's not to <laughs> you don't know who God is. Right? God is all love. But within that capacity for love is also a fierceness. Psalm 136. It says, and he killed the kings, Og and Sihon. The next thing. And his mercy endured it forever. Say, ah, how can you kill them now? And they say, and his mercy endured How? <laughs> you don't know God. Okay, so he says that because we know the terror of God, because we know it, what does that inspire in us? He says, it makes us persuade men. Some of us do not believe in the life after life or the life after death. We don't. We may say that we do, but we don't. I'm going to end with a story. The story was told of a man, a criminal in England. I don't know when that happened. Okay? But the name of the guy was Charlie Peace and he had done a lot of crimes. It was time for him to die and when it was, I mean, the normal routine in those days is that as he was about to be hung on the gallows, a chaplain was meant to just you know, talk to him about God and this was the chaplain's, this was his, that place what he was paid to do. So, you know, as, you know, like the Nigerian civil servant, when you want for them to sign something that belongs to you, how they are tired, and, okay, yeah, bring it. Ah, we have clothes, come tomorrow. Okay? So, the chaplain was just, he was reading the scriptures to the man, telling him about the afterlife, you know, he was doing it so, like, I beg, go, let the next person to die come. Let me do my job, and by five, I go home. Now Charlie Peace said, he said he began to think. He said, this man is nearly sleeping while I'm getting ready to go to hell. But the man was reading to him about the realities of heaven. And said, man was telling him, look, before you die, make peace with God. But the man was reading it in such a way that maybe he was just telling him, I want to, you want okra or bonosub, choose one. 
you know. Like it was a normal thing. He says, Charlie Peace now proclaimed to the preacher. He said, stop, stop. Stop this minute. He said, sir, if I believed what you and the church of God say that you believe, even if England were covered with broken glass from coast to coast, I would walk all over it, if need be, on my hands and knees and think it worthwhile living just to save one soul from this kind of eternal hell that you're speaking about. I was saying that if you believe this thing that you preach, the way you are just reading it as if you are sending me to siesta, I would take it more serious. Says, so with this view in mind that another day is coming, Paul says that because we know that on that day, there's a side of God that we don't want to see. We want to hear him say, well done, my good and faithful servant. Okay, but beyond us, for those that are not saved, Paul says, because of that day, my motivation, the reason why you see me at so much peril of life, I'm still preaching. Paul was told in, in, that he was going to die. Somebody gave me a prophecy that he was going to die. What did Paul say? Paul said, these things do not move me. He said, the reason why I am still so passionate about the gospel is because I know the terror of God. That a day is coming when the unsaved will not have it easy in the hands of God. So, how is it easy for us these days as Christians? We find it easier to give people money than to give people Jesus. We find it easier to give people healing than to give people Jesus. We find it easier to give people education than to give people These things are good. But in our strategy, it must be that as I'm giving you money, I'm using it to draw you in to give you the main person. Because I can give you money and you go to hell. Of what use is it? I can heal your body and you go to hell. Of what use is it? I can take you from under the bridge and give you a house and you still go to hell. Of what use is it? Paul says that knowing the terror of God, we persuade men. We persuade men. How keen are you? How focused are you on this eternity? How focused are you on the reality that this life is not your home? You are not going to live here forever. I'm not going to live here forever. I don't have the time to talk about how Paul begins to say in verse 13 that whether we are beginning to act as if we're crazy, we are doing it because of God. And when we, each time we act normal, we are doing it for you. And then he begins to say in verse 14, he says, for the love of Christ constrains us. The love of Christ constrains us. Are there things that you wanted to do before? But when you consider how much Christ loves you, you are able to say, because of Jesus, I won't do this thing. Are there things that you would do normally? And when you consider the love of Christ, it tempers your actions. When you consider how much he forgave you, you find it easier to forgive. When you consider how much he died for you, the love he showed you, you are energized by that and say, look, this love that I'm enjoying from Christ, I want others to enjoy it as well. Are we focused on building mansion and building a life here? Peter tells us how this, he said, all these things, eventually, eventually, fire. It will burn. Do you understand? It will burn. I want to end with one verse. First Corinthians 15. The last verse there, verse 58. First Corinthians 15, Paul wrote it to deal with an issue in the church then. And the church, they have begun to say that, that there is no resurrection. In other words, when people died at it. And Paul began to show them the implication of that kind of thinking. 
Some of us are not saying that. But the way we are living today is as though that that's what we believe. We are living a life as though we believe that this life, after this life, that's it. And Paul says that if you think that way, assuming that that thought is true, assuming that it is true, Paul then says in verse 19, he says, if in this life only we have hope in Christ, he says, of all men, we are to be most pitied. Because of course, uses it to deny ourselves, to work for God and do other things, and assumes it ends here. My friends, there's a reward system in God that this life does not have enough time to encapsulate. It will still continue on that other side. Such that if we know this to be true, if it is true that it doesn't end here, if it is true that the things we do in this body will determine the rewards we receive there, what kind of lives do we need to live? And Paul says in verse 50, he says, Therefore, my brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always what? Abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Whatever it is that God has given you to do, don't just look at it with the eye of now. Don't just look at your life and say, God, I'm saving you, but it doesn't look as if I'm making it. Hello, the system, the reward system is there. Do you understand? It's there, it's there, it's there. Keep your eyes on that one. And the more you fellowship with the Holy Ghost every day, the more the reality of that life comes more real to you. I just came by to remind somebody this afternoon that the things that we do in this life, has implication for the next life. And that it's so easy to forget that he's coming again. It's so easy to assume that we will live forever. It's so easy to assume that everything we do here ends here. But like Paul, we must begin to rediscover the joy of Christ. He says that my aim is to be with the Lord forever. Is to be with that is where my real life Colossians 3 says, When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall we be also with him in glory. 